Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast here at Daigle Law Group. Hope you're having a great summer and welcome back. And we're going to start right off in the next series. We're going to talk about technology and the advance of technology in law enforcement. More importantly, the advance of technology in the world and the problem that law enforcement has from this technology. As you know, we always start out with a quote. And so, you know, I had to go dig deep all the way down to Albert Einstein. Great quote from today. It says, it's becoming appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. Think about that for a second. All right, well, let's jump right in. The reason we are talking about geofencing warrants is because I found a great article that came out in this month's issue of the International Chiefs of Police magazine. It's called the Police Chiefs magazine. And within the Police Chiefs magazine is this uh, is always an article written by an attorney, usually involved in the legal officer section, which I've been involved in for about 15 years. And we meet some very bright and very young attorneys who are, are involved in law enforcement analysis and law enforcement representation. And this, uh, the author of this article, which I'm going to review today, is just that. Uh, Attorney Lila Ziendin is a legal program manager at the Northern Virginia Criminal Justice Training Academy. And she wrote an article about geofence warrants in the unpredictable future of using Google location data. And if any of you are my age, you just said, what the hell was all of that, right? Well, let's kind of work through it because the one thing that we know about criminal investigations in 2022 is that technology is starting to be more accurate and more involved in our everyday application. So we're going to start out with, we got to answer one very simple question, and that is, what is geofencing and how does it work? Well, so geofencing, and and I got to be honest with you, I had to go look it up myself. I had to go make sure that I understood what I was talking about today, and I found some very interesting information. So even if you do some some simple research yourself, you'll see that geofencing, which has not developed as a law enforcement application, this geofencing has become a law enforcement application. So let's just start out really simply. You know, what do we know about geofencing? Well, in general, what I found out is geofencing is a buzzy mobile app capable of being around for at least a decade. However, Developers are only now seeing the full potential of geofencing for building a greater user-first experience. Well, what we know is that geofencing first received attention in relation to user privacy. Um, New tools are being considered now to develop how geofencing can better surprise and delight customers and, in the future, radically change the way companies deliver location-based uh, experiences. And, and that's really what this is. Well, what, what is geofencing? Well, geofencing is a location-based service in which an app or other software uses GPS, RFID, or Wi-Fi, also cellular data, to trigger a pre-programmed action when a mobile device or an RFID tag enters or exit a virtual boundary set up around a geographical location. This is known as a geofence. Well, what did I just say? What I said is that companies, entities, and now the government have the ability to drop a fence around a perimeter area in order to identify things that are entering or exiting. And more importantly, when we talk about not only things that are entering 
or exiting, but also making sure in one of the articles I read talked clearly about what they call as IFTTT. If this, then that. It's a, re- it's a recipe system that allows you to create recipes. Something that says, for example, hey, if I'm leaving my office, turn the air conditioner on at home, or if in the house after 9 p.m. on a weekday, text my boss that I'm stuck at uh, 9 a.m. on a weekday, uh, text my boss and tell him I'm stuck in traffic. The key is, is that you're building a, uh, a, a if-this-then-that recipe that calculates off of the fact that certain people and certain things are going to happen. So what we know is, well, what does this mean in practice? Well, think about it like this. Geofencing is like an electric fence for your dog, but in the real world. Geofencing allows for the setup of virtual fences or areas wherein the entering or exiting through the areas triggers a response or an action by the individual or by the company monitoring the geofence. Well, let's give you an example. For instance, uh, instead of alerting a pet owner when Fluffy wanders into the neighbor's yard, geofencing would automatically trigger an alert for a business owner or for a customer when Fluffy wanders into the neighbor's yard. So, for example, if a, if a customer visits a store or the store of a competitor, the application of their phone may set off a if-then-then-that application. Well, how does it work? If you do some research, you'll see that to make use of geofencing, an administrator or a developer must first establish a virtual boundary around a specific location in GPS or RFID-enabled software, which simply, which can be as simple as drawing a circle, a 100-foot circle around a Google map. This virtual geofence will then trigger a response when an authorized device enters or exits that area, as specified by the administrator or the developer. Put simply, picture virtually unfolding a paper napkin, taking a virtual pencil, and then drawing a virtual circle around a desired part of the map. Whenever someone or something enters or exits that area, you would be alerted. So what's it used for in the everyday world? If you do the research, you'll find out that early geofencing projects revolved around the use of GPS to track herds of livestock or using ankle monitors to keep an eye on criminal offenders. This tracking then developed into keeping track of truck drivers on their routes, as well as using smart cards to track employees' movements in a building. Today's use of geofencing has evolved beyond simply tracking where a target customer or a herd of cattle is at any given time. With privacy concerns challenging companies to rethink their use of geofencing, companies like Radar are leading the way in innovating new geofences that can improve the user experience. For example, let's let's look at what that means. Burger King's Whopper Detour campaign. Well, Burger King ran a promotion to sell a Whopper burger for one cent, one penny. But only customers within a 600-foot radius of McDonald's could download the Burger King app and head to their nearest Burger King. So what they did is within they made a geofence around McDonald's, they dropped a Burger King ad 
to individuals who were in the McDonald area for a one cent Whopper and that app, if they downloaded them, then redirected them to their nearest Burger King to redeem the promotion. It's a little scary, isn't it? And I, I just wanted a Whopper. How did the phone know I wanted a Whopper? I didn't get that information. This is just one way brands are thinking creatively, 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 great, creatively of how to use geofencing to surprise and delight customers. The key is, though, without invading their privacy. So let's talk about the application of privacy, because obviously that's where we're going to go here with the Fourth Amendment analysis. As expected, not all individuals are comfortable with having their location data shared via geofencing. In fact, in 2017, the state of Massachusetts was one of the first states to enact a consumer protection law that objected to the use of location-based advertising. The attorney general blocked an ad campaign from an advertising company which was hired by a Christian organization to set up a geofence around women's health clinics that would target women in the waiting room or nearby with anti-abortion ads. While many ad tech companies use geofencing to collect data on customers, new pioneers in the geofencing state and space like Radar are careful to put their user experience at the forefront of innovation in, an, in a dominated by ad technique or data monetization company. We know that when we look at geofencing, and you look back at articles that were written in 2019, it was interesting to me to find that it was expected in 2019 that the geofencing industry was expected to grow over 27% by 2022, citing technological advancements in use of spatial data and increasing applications in numerous industry verticals. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means where are we today in the aspect of what is geofencing and its application? Well, let's now look as how geofencing and geofencing warrants, more importantly, the unpredictable future of using Google location data as written by Attorney Zeden in the Chief's Counsel article in this month's magazine. In this month's magazine, she clearly states that state and local law enforcement are increasingly turning to Google data in search of suspects for serious crimes. Location tracking data is one way for law enforcement to seek out suspects in the vicinity of a crime. These so-called geofence warrants, they allow detectives to search for suspects rather than asking a judge for a warrant to search the home or belongings. Geofence warrants seek location data on every person within a specific location over a certain period. For this technology to work, people obviously must be using their cell phones or other electronic devices that, they ha that have location history features enabled on their phone. Geofence warrants rely on Google's extensive records that show where a user's mobile phone is located at a given time. What they do is they offer a novel way to identify criminal suspects who might not otherwise be found. These warrants are a useful investigatory technique that has helped lead police to suspects around the United States. However, some are concerned that allowing police to scrutinize nearby moments or movements 
near a crime also reveals the whereabouts of innocent people posing a privacy concern. As you know, in this podcast, I'm a big fan of technology and, and like to look at things that have focused on technology. And we know that we have done some, we have spoken about some cases in the past on technology. And uh, Attorney Zayden does a great job in this article of talking about the history of technology and more importantly, the history of warrants. Well, what do we know? Under the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution, police officers may not obtain a warrant unless the warrant is based upon probable cause and particularly describes the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. The United States Supreme Court has since applied the principles embodied in this language to constantly evolving technology from recording devices in public telephone booths, and we know this is a 1967 Supreme Court case called Katz versus United States. It is the cornerstone of our, our search and seizure law on what we believe, on what the law interprets as an expectation of privacy. For those of you that are on the job and that have been around search and seizure law for a while, know that the key case of Katz versus United States in 1967 started a, stated a two-part test for evaluating the expectation of privacy. And the first part of the test is when, whether or not someone exhibited an actual uh, expectation of privacy. And number two was whether or not the society found that expectation of privacy reasonable. We then moved to a 2006 case, a thermal imaging equipment case called Kylo versus the United States, where a Department of Interior agents used a thermal imaging device, something that is not in normal, uh, where you can't walk into Walmart and buy one of those, so you, society can't get one of those, a thermal imaging device used by fire officials to identify hotspots. Well, they utilized the thermal imaging device, device to scan the outside of a residence to determine if there was a grow a grow operation going on inside. And in the case, Kylo versus United States, the Supreme Court came back and said, you know, you can't look through the walls of a house. It violated the expectation of privacy. And then we moved on to the most recent Supreme Court case uh, in which we call Carpenter versus the United States. And it is the last Supreme Court case that the Supreme Court looked at some form of technology in its application uh, in 2018 was the date of that case in where they used uh, cell site location data or what we call geolocation data to identify that Mr. Carpenter was in the area of an armed robbery or multiple armed robberies that occurred regarding a T-Mobile store and radio shacks and led to the arrest of Mr. Carpenter. The court came back and determined that probable cause was necessary in order to get a geolocation information warrant. Well, what we do know uh, is that the, it is true that the cyber age has vast potential both to expand and restrict individual freedoms in dimensions not contemplated in earlier times, right? Like we said, the, it was expected in 2019 that geolocation data or geofencing would take a 27% increase Till 2022. In the first order of this kind, we're going to look at a case called the United States versus Chatrie, C-H-A-T-R-I-E. And in this case, it was the first case in which a federal district court judge in Virginia held that a warrant used to identify all devices in the area of a bank robbery, including the defendants, 
plainly violated the rights enshrined in that Fourth Amendment. In United States versus Chaytree, a man walked into a, a, a call federal credit union in Middlothian, Virginia, on May 20th, 2019. He was waving a gun, and he threatened to kill a teller's family if the teller did not get at least one, give him at least $100,000 in cash. The robber, who was seen on surveillance video holding a cell phone in his hand, escaped with approximately $195,000. After following leads that didn't develop, police went to a magistrate judge and obtained a geofence search warrant seeking location history from Google for any device located within 150 meter, that is 164 yard, radius of the bank around the time of the robbery. Google turned over location data for 19 devices without providing any identifying information. Police then narrowed down their request to three devices for which Google provided the information. Police arrested Okello Chatri, who was charged with armed robbery. Bank cameras showed the robber came and went from an area where a church worker saw a suspicious person. Chatri's location history matched these movements. Prosecutors argued that Chatri had no reasonable expectation of privacy since he voluntarily opted into Google's location history feature. Chatri's lawyer called the warrant the equivalent of, quote, searching the bags of every person walking along Broadway because of a theft in Times Square, end quote. Mr. Chatri filed a motion to suppress the geofencing evidence, and the court ruled that the warrant was unconstitutional. The court held that it is not enough for the police to allege that a crime was committed and the perpetrator owned a cell phone. If the police want to get information on every device in the area, they must also establish probable cause to search every person in the area. United States District Judge Hannah Locke found that the warrant violated the U.S. Constitution by gathering the location history of people near the bank without having any evidence that they had anything to do with the robbery. The warrant simply did not include any facts to establish probable cause to collect such broad and intrusive data from each of these individuals. Locke wrote in her ruling, the judge said that she was not ruling on whether geofence warrants can ever satisfy the Fourth Amendment, but privacy advocates said the decision could make it more difficult for police to pursue magistrates to grant such warrants. Despite the court's determination that the warrant was plainly unconstitutional, the court refused to suppress the evidence. The court held that the officers acted in good faith on what he thought was a valid warrant. This part of the ruling relied on the good faith exception to the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement. Officers acted on what they thought was a valid warrant at the time. The detective was not at fault because he had consulted with prosecutors before applying for the warrant and relied on his past experience in obtaining three similar warrants. In United States versus Chatry, Google submitted a legal brief urging the Virginia court to rule that law enforcement must obtain a warrant supported by probable cause to gain access to the company's location history records. During the investigation, 
Police issued the warrant to Google seeking information on every device within the area of the robbery during a one-hour period. The geographical area was about 17.5 acres and included a church, a chain restaurant, a hotel, several apartments and residences, a senior living facility, a self-storage business, and two busy streets. Google's initial search identified 19 devices with a total of 210 individual location points. Google assigned an anima, anonymous identifiers to each device and provided their location to the police. Following a three-step process designed by Google, the police expanded the time period to two hours to get additional location information for nine of the devices. Ultimately, police obtained detailed identified subscriber information for three devices, one of those belonging to the defendant. The court further held that Google's three-step process did not cure the warrant's defects. The initial animization of the data didn't help because as the court recognized, even an anonymized location data from innocent people can reveal astonishing glimpses into people's or individuals' private lives when the government collects data across even a one or two hour period. So the question that the council dealt to deal, the fo focused on dealing with in this article was what is the future of geofencing warrants? The robbery ruling in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia could have implications for police departments as they increasingly seek to search Google's location data. With many privacy advocates hoping that judges and other courts will follow its lead to deny issuing geofence warrants going forward, it remains to be seen if other judges will agree with Judge Locke's reasoning, which hinged on the privacy impact for other people who unknowingly appear in the search for a suspect. The judge's ruling found that police didn't show probable cause to search these other people. Chatry follows several other courts that have also held that geofencing warrants are and should be unconstitutional. But in each of these cases, the judges were reviewing the warrant before a defendant had ever been charged. The Chatry case is different because the warrant was approved by a magistrate and the investigation ultimately resulted in a case being brought against Mr. Chatry. What about legislation? We expect that we're going to see a tremendous amount of legislation on this subject. As the district court noted, location history appears to be the most sweeping, granular, and comprehensive tool to a significant degree when it comes to collecting and storing location data. However, the data may not be all that accurate. Data may place a device inside the geofencing area that was, in fact, hundreds of feet away or vice versa. Google has said that geofence requests jumped 1,500% from 2017 to 2018 and another 500% from 2018 to 2019. Google now reports that geofence warrants make up more than 25% of all the warrants the company receives in the United States. The Chatry decision also raises questions about whether legislatures 
should step in to set parameters around how or even whether law enforcement should use these warrants. Judge Luck stressed the need for legislative action on the issue, noting that currently no law prohibits Google and any other companies from collecting or using vast amounts of data from their customers. What do we know in the general use of geofencing? Well, we know that security systems in your house deal with geofencing. In fact, if you're like myself, even uh, Life360, a family tracking act uh, app that you use on your phone, focuses on the issues associated with geofencing. But what's the future? Well, here's the conclusion that I found in doing the research. Although still unfamiliar to many people, geofencing is a natural extension of our desire for our devices to do more and to do more automatically and decrease the friction with which interact with our environment. As devices become increasingly sophisticated and more elements of our home, our vehicles, and our workplace enter the ever-growing stable of Internet of Things, objects expect to see geofencing applied to more and more devices and environments. The increased integration could yield all sorts of novelties as you drive home, garage doors that open automatically as you round the bend, and all manner of life changes that leave the computers to worry about the trivial bits while we get to focus on things more interesting than wondering if we locked the back door properly. Remember one thing. When the Supreme Court in 2018 looked at the Carpenter decision, they said, we look at the technology in two very specific applications. Number one was what we call content. And number two was communication. And the court also looked at the difference between content and communication into the eyes of convenience. And what that means is the more convenience you want, the more communication that you're going to have. Well, what the court had clearly looked at when they looked at the, the last significant case dealing with geolocation data in the Carpenter decision is the court said, listen, communication has a lower expectation of privacy while content, the pictures, the images, the messages that you send have a higher level of expectation of privacy. But the concern of the court in 2018 and the concern as we move forward in the year, in these years of technology is that the more an individual wants convenience, the less expectation of privacy they might have. Stay tuned. If you're an investigator and working, I am sure as we continue on, the questions of expectation of privacy with technology in our everyday life is going to become more and more centered in legal analysis. And that means we'll get to talk about it even more in the future. Till then, help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.